everyone. This is Leah Lem from the Minnesota Native News team. We're excited to let you know about the new programming from Minnesota Native News, aimed at keeping you informed on important health concerns in these unprecedented times of the pandemic. Listen for the Minnesota Native News COVID-19 Daily Update, the COVID-19 Community Conversations, and the Minnesota Native News Health Report. Find out how to listen at our website, minnesotanativenews.org. Boujou. Hello and welcome to Native Lights Bidapi. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. This is the podcast where we connect with folks in the Native community here in Minnesota during the COVID-19 pandemic, providing connection in these physical distancing times. Yeah, and today we are chatting with Michael Lavender, architect, the vice chair of the American Indian Science and Engineering Society, ACES, and member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians in North Dakota. And he's here with us right now. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. How about you guys? Oh, we're <laughs> great. <laughs> Sweating a little bit. It's kind of hot where I'm at. Yeah. You know, we had to turn on the air conditioning. I guess that's kind of a thing with us Minnesotans. As soon as it hits 79 or 80 degrees, the air conditioning has got to go on, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh, you lucky folks with air conditioning. <laughs> See, northern Minnesota... No air conditioning. Nah. We need it for like two weeks out of the year. <laughs> <laughs> just tough it out, right? Just tough times. it out. Turn the fan on. Just yep. Don't move. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, just to start things out, could you just introduce yourself? I know I, I did a little introduction, but just, you know. My name is Mike Laverger. Uh, I'm from the Turtle Mountains in North Dakota, um, the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. I am an architect, I'm registered in several states. Um, in, uh, so DSGW Architects, uh, architecture firm, it's over 80 years old now, 1938, so it's 82 years old this year. We've been working in Indian country for 40 plus years now. I came on board in 2008. And I think we have something like 175 plus projects with 30 plus tribes in 11 states. Pretty large family. Uh, I've got six kids and uh, one grandchild and another one on the way. Oh. So uh, my youngest are twins, Madeline and Charlotte. Um, they're about two and a half right now. They're raising cane as usual, uh, keeping their mom busy. And then my oldest, uh, Nick. He is 29, and he's the one with uh, my first grandchild, Raven. So um, we got all kinds of kids in, in between. We got Maya, who is going to have my second grandchild, and we got Mackenzie and Miley, uh, who are home with their mom and being homeschooled right now. So yeah, a little bit about me, I guess. <laughs> uh, and as you can see, I guess no, they can't see me on the radio, but or on the broadcast. But I'm in my office today. That's I'm wearing my mask. So we're trying to get back into work. A little bit gradually coming back yeah and i was going to ask uh you know besides uh your job right now um how has your life you know changed over like the last couple months with you know with the pandemic happening and one of the things that we were worried about was as architects we work in a studio so we're always you know talking to each other and sketching with each other and designing and meeting with clients and I'm drawing something and pushing it across the table to a client and all those things. And how is this going to work? And 
tribal councils want to see you in person and they want you to be there and all those things. And I think the thing we've learned is that not being in there in person hasn't really affected the way we produce our work as much as we thought it was going to. Um, I think we've learned a lot that people can work from home. Our, I think our, our staff has been as productive as they've ever been um, anywhere. And so I don't think we've really lost anything. I think some of our travel clients are, are starting to hold back on some of their projects. They're not like canceling them, but you know, just because, for example, one of our one of our clients is the three affiliated tribes museum in North Dakota, and their entire board are elders from the community, and they're all sheltering the place. So our board members can't meet, so they're putting the project on hold till we can start meeting in person. Um, so there's that, and then our staff. Um, but I think. Overall, it's been kind of an interesting Zoom meetings. I think my record for Zoom meetings in one week is 24. Um, my second record is 21 in one week. So, yeah, um, it's nice that we're kind of coming out of it. I think people are getting tired of Zoom yeah. meetings and all that stuff. So it is kind of nice to hop in a car and drive somewhere to think about the meeting you're going to or just left instead of just one after another after another. Just... So it's affected us some, but I think we're managing. Were you were you kind of like me where I didn't really use Zoom at all before the whole thing, and now I'm like using it obviously every day. Is this something that you used beforehand? We did. We used okay. GoToMeeting, and then we switched to Zoom right before this all happened. And because it just Zoom seemed to have a lot less quirks than GoToMeeting, and so sure. we we had one Zoom account, and then this was just happening. So we have four Zoom accounts now and it's just, it's just become a chore that somebody just manages scheduling Zoom meetings. Mike, did you have a home office before this all happened or did you move everything home? It's funny because when the Twinbians, we call them, were coming, um, <laughs> we had, we didn't have a big enough house mm. and because we have two girls that were at home already and then there was us and we had two dogs and a cat and so we looked for a house and I let my significant other, Sheena, she got to pick the house. My only requirements is, is that it has a south-facing roof for solar panels because we wanted to put solar panels on nice. and that I get a Mike Brady office. So I don't know if you ever watched Brady Bunch, but Mike Brady was an architect and he had an office that was by the front door and nobody ever got to go in there, right? They had, had double doors you could look in there, but nobody could go in there. It was kind of his office. Mm -hmm. I said, that's why I want an office. And she found a house that had a south-facing roof. Um, had a yard for the dogs, had enough bedrooms, and had a Mike Brady office. And so when this all happened, I just kind of went into my office and during the day and I'd shut the door and she would lock me in so the two Indians couldn't come in and, and terrorize my Zoom meetings. And then at, at the end of the day, it kind of became funny because at a game, I'd knock on the door and then she go, oh, oh, dad's home. And they would, and then I, I like hide under my desk or I'd hide under the chair or hide behind the chair or something. They'd come running in and the dogs would give me away. And no. so it became a game. But, you know, it, it wasn't as hard for me because I did have an office. But I know some people, you know, they're working on their kitchen table while they're mm -hmm. teaching their kids. And, you know, our older girls are old enough that they were self guided, they just did online homework. But I couldn't imagine having a five, six, seven year old that you had to do the homework for as well as being working from home. I mean, it's just, that's just going to be a different world entirely. But I was pretty lucky and fortunate to have my own office. Very nice. Yeah, yeah I was wondering about that. That's really cute that you could knock on the door. 
and yeah. it's almost like daddy's coming home yeah. <laughs> from the other side of the from yeah. inside the house well from a two and a half year old's perspective they kind of knew i was in there because i'd see like a straw being stuck through the door oh. or, <laughs> you know they'd be knocking or something or how was that adaptation i know it's hard for kids sometimes to like have a, a parent there and not be able to play or like yeah. hang out you know while while a parent is um working ask me how i know right yeah. so it's like <laughs> you know it's it's hard for the kids right it is it is very hard um but you know their mom mom is there um mm-hmm. every day all day and so i get to see a glimpse of what she has to deal with you know on a day-to-day basis <laughs> and you know um she's like you must be happy going back to work and I kind of am, but I'm kind of not. But it was fun to be able to walk out of my office at lunch and eat lunch with them. Uh, something that I was really, you know, curious about lately, and will the pandemic vastly, you know, change how spaces are built for the future? Do you have thoughts on that? Like, will will the pandemic have, you know, everlasting effects on how things are designed? Well, it, it will. There's already design initiatives going out in Minnesota. Uh, American Institute of Architects actually has some webinars last week and this week talking about how it's going to affect design and entry sequences in the buildings and how things are affected. I mean, you're already starting to see um, the sneeze guards at all the service counters and things like that. Those might not go away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, social distancing might become, you know, uh, being six foot behind somebody respectfully might just become a normal thing. Um, but it's also affecting the way um, clients are already coming to us and saying, okay, I've got a bank lobby and how do I set that up so that I, I can, you know, ease back into letting the public into my lobby space and how do I do that? And so those things are, are, are going to be, you know, quick fixes, but I think they're going to have some effects on how we design because right now we're just adjusting to the reality but I think mm-hmm. people who are writing building codes and people who are writing zoning codes and all these other things are going to start applying those things within their code books. And so it'll affect us eventually. I think the, the biggest thing, especially for, for indigenous nations is, okay, we have a pandemic hit and we also have a blizzard at the same time. Does our community center going to be able to adapt to that? I mean, if we're, if we turned our community center into a, a pandemic ward and we have 25 beds in our gym and we have a blizzard hit, do we have a generator? Do we have solar power? Do we have battery backup? Um, does our building have enough thermal mass to fight off a cold snap? I mean, all those things. Um, maybe it hits in the middle of the summer and there's a drought. Well, do we have irrigation and do we have food sovereignty? Do we have our own gardens? If we're a food desert, how do we... So there's all these things that are going to affect that people have to have those long-term visions, but also adapt to the current need and the new reality. So I think it will. It will affect it for sure. So this is kind of getting off subject a little bit, but I saw that uh, you're taking Ojibwe classes online. Is that something like you're doing during this, you know, Situation. Yeah, I saw I saw the Minneapolis American Indian Center was, uh, was having free online Ojibwe lessons, and I told myself last year that I was going to learn my language because they say when you learn your language, your 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 mind changes, you think differently because you process things differently, 
and I wanted to experience that. And I know words and I've listened to tapes and everything, but I didn't know sentence structure. And once he started teaching me sentence structure, I was like, that's why I can do Jibwayam, what that means. I just was hearing the word and could repeat it, but I didn't know why the sentence structure with the Nindu or Indu and all the different types of, you know, I speak for Jibwe and stuff. So it was really interesting. As um, this is his name, um, Nguisi, uh, Sutherland. He's a really good teacher. His homework assignments, man, they're brutal. I mean, I just did my homework. It's it's like like 19 pages of wow. translate this into Ojibwe and translate this into English. But they, you know, I'm learning. I mean, yeah. there's 12 weeks, and I'm going to come out of this pandemic at least knowing a little bit about my language, right? So. I think it's uh, pretty awesome. He has a lot of a lot of people attending those classes too, so I'm pretty pretty happy that the Minneapolis North Indian Center could do that. Very good. Well, uh, do you have any you know final uh, you know thoughts or things you'd like to say? I know you you you're you're big into you know getting native kids into STEM. I was just curious yeah. you know, if you had any final. Well, thoughts. I think one of the things that I always say is. Um, we need more native kids to become architects and engineers and planners. Um, you've heard me kind of talk as we were talking today about all the important things that can happen that tribes need to talk about and start doing and designing for the future, like solar panels and, and resilient buildings and food sovereignty and all these other things. But those don't, things don't happen on their own. And I think that the more kids that we get out there in the STEM fields or even becoming architects or anything, they can impact so many tribal people. I mean, imagine one building that I've designed, maybe a clinic, serves how many patients a day, 100 patients a day. Um, and, you know, I mean, geez, just think over a 10-year period how many people's lives that affected. And if it was designed properly from an Indigenous perspective with long-term thinking like solar panels and food sovereignty, just imagine how many positively affected Indigenous lives that happen. And it can happen because it had an indigenous architect or indigenous engineer or somebody from a STEM field participating in all levels from being a travel member to a travel council member to being an architect. So any of those things. So it's really important. So, I mean, if, if you're out there listening, think about it. It's, it's, it's important to help our people. It's one of those ways that you can go out, you know, on the travel council, a chairperson, chairwoman comes here your graduation says, go well, get your education, come back and help your people. This is one way you can do it. Mm. Uh, and, and it's a really good way. So, Wonderful. Which. Yeah. Thank you very much for your perspective. And the, I can't wait for the next time I can bother you and have, have you come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got a couple of interesting projects in the Twin Cities here. So we've got, we're doing a supportive housing project for the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource. Um, we're working with them and then we're working with Mike Gozi over at the with uh, Nishinaabe 3 over there. It's another supportive housing project with him. So I'll keep you up to date. Awesome. Yeah. Keep in co contact very much so. All right. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Cool. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Thanks, Lance. Yeah. Miigwech. Miigwech. You know, going back to normal. And of course, I don't think that's going to be possible, but um, I mean, yeah. and I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the goal because normal pre-pandemic wasn't very equitable, uh, not yeah. at all, really. So yeah, it was really nice to hear him talk more about design too. Yeah, 
yeah, I'll definitely be curious to see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Native communities right now have to be super equipped to respond to the pandemic. But what Mike, Michael's been doing for the past how many years is preparing them just for that, like pushing people to get into STEM, STEM fields and things like that. So I just appreciate all the work he's doing to get natives involved in that. So. Yeah, totally. Cool. So thank you, Michael Labrador, for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Native Lights Bidapi is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers, made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you'd like to help us spread the word about Native Lights, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, and every major listening app, as well as minnesotanativenews.org. If there's someone you'd like to hear us catch up with, please send us an email at nativelights at ampers.org or find Minnesota Native News on Facebook or Instagram. Giga Wabaman! Giga Wabaman! Thank you.